0: Hello and welcome to our video summarising all you need to know about child language acquisition and in particular case studies related to child language acquisition. My name is Barbara, and this video is part of a wider series where we are examining different aspects of child language acquisition, including theories, criticisms against these theories. And in this video, we're looking at real life case studies when it comes to applying the different theories that we've looked at on our previous videos. So if you recall, we talked about Noam Chomsky, David Crystal, June Atkinson, and so on. So please do refer to our other previous video. Now, to get started, we'll look at Perhaps the most famous child language acquisition case, the really tragic case of Jeannie. Now, Jeannie was a girl who was born to very neglectful parents. The background is her mother was partially blind and her father disliked loud noises and didn't want children. However, he and his wife ended up having children, many of whom died from neglect. Jeannie The girl we're talking about in particular was one of the few who survived and she spent the first 13 years of her life strapped to a potty or a chair in a homemade straight jacket and if she made any noise her father would beat her very viciously she was never spoken to meaning she was a virile child when she was finally rescued genie had virtually no physical abilities beyond those of a toddler she was very underweight and she couldn't speak The linguist, Susan Curtis, befriended her and attempted to teach her language. Curtis learned that Jeannie was highly intelligent. She was able to tell sophisticated stories. However, she wasn't able to do this in words, but in pictures. Now, over a number of years of intensive language learning, Jeannie did develop a rather large lexicon and she was able to express herself. However, despite the extensive training she received after she was rescued, she remained unable to produce advanced grammatical sentence. Junia's case has been used by a lot of theories when it comes to child language and she has been used as a case study in particular to suggest that children who are either abandoned, abused or for some reason not exposed to language for many years rarely developed advanced linguistic skills if taught at a later stage in their lives. So some linguist experts have argued that cases such as Jeannie's case in particular suggest the existence of a critical period of language development in a child's early life. This biological basis is further supported by experts who maintain that the language areas of the brain are actually divided between the two following areas. The first is the vernix area. This sits on the left side of the head, which is just above the air in the temporal lobe. And it's responsible for understanding speech and other communicative signals. The other area is the Broca's area and it sits at the beginning of the frontal part of the brain. It's in charge of producing grammatical sentences and it works alongside the motor area which is needed to express what you want to say verbally using lip movement and gestures. So the case of Junie confirms that there's a certain window of opportunity that really sets the limit for when you can become relatively fluent in a language. Thus, if you have no experience with grammar, however, the Broca's area remains relatively hard to change. You can't learn grammatical language and production later in life. However, the abilities to understand language and produce language in ways that do not rely on grammar largely make use of the vernix area in the temporal lobe. And this area is capable of expanding and rewiring throughout the life and even after teenage years. So the case of Junie really confirms this. And it shows that, for example, when we look at her case in particular, grammar and producing grammatically accurate language was quite beyond the reach for her because this ability sits in the Broca's area of her brain and this wasn't activated early enough in her life. However, language comprehension and being able to tell coherent stories either through pictures or through other methods were not constrained and they were not beyond her reach and of course this is because this part of the brain sits in the vernix area. Thus, the main takeaway of this tragic case really sits well with the idea that's been really established that the Wernicke's area in the brain, which is the area for language comprehension, is able to absorb various languages and meaningful signals in a unified way. However, the Broca's area, which is the area of the brain that's in charge of grammatical speech production, stores native or first languages and second languages learned later in life in separate areas. By the way, if you're finding this video useful, we would really appreciate it if you did subscribe to our channel, give us a thumbs up and of course, do visit our website, www.firstreetutors.com If you want additional information, we do from time to time give you model answers which can be downloaded. Now, going back to other really interesting case studies uh, that you can apply when you were evaluating and assessing different child language acquisition theories, the other case study to consider is Bard and Sachs. So Bard and Sachs are two uh, researchers who studied a boy called Jim, who was the son of two deaf parents. Although he was exposed to TV, radio, his speech development was severely restricted until he attended sessions with a speech therapist, implying that human interaction is really necessary to develop speech. So, this particular case study really goes in many ways to support, for instance, Jerome Bruner's social interaction theory and the theory of scaffolding. Another case study to bear in mind is Burko and Brown. And they found that a child who referred to a plastic in, plastic inflatable fish as a fish substituting the sh sound for the s sound rejected questions from adults who asked him, Is this your fish? Instead, he only responded to adults saying fish when they questioned him, Is this your fish? What this case study is interesting in illustrating is that although the child could not produce the phoneme shh, he could perceive it as being different from the phoneme when others used it in their language. Another case study is Catherine Nelson and she studied 18 children's first words and she found that the largest group of words in her sample, which is about 60%, were those that named people, animals and things. In other words, what we would refer to in language as concrete nouns. The second language, uh, second largest languages, or words, were words that expressed or demanded actions such as give me, uh, let me have this, and so on. The next largest group of words that she found with these children were modifiers. The next largest were personal and social words such as yes, no, and bye-bye, which made up about 8% of the sample therefore what this shows is the first objects named by children tend to be those that are small and easily handled by children another case study to consider is Ursula Belugie. Uh, Bellugi explored negatives and negation and she identified three stages when it comes to how children use language in their early life number one they use no or not at the beginning of the sentence so no shoes Number two, they put no or not within the sentence. For instance, I know wear shoes. And number three, they attach negatives to auxiliary verbs and to the verb be. So for instance, I won't wear shoes. Malugi also explored children's pronoun use and found three stages. So firstly, they use their name, Catherine play. Then secondly, they recognize I, me pronouns as the language develops. So I play, me up. And then finally, they use pronouns according to whether they are the subject or object position. So, I play with toy. So, for instance, that's them being in the subject of the sentence as opposed to give it to me, me being the object in this particular sentence. Another study to be aware of is Jean Burko. So, Berko carried out an experiment to investigate the acquisition of grammatical rules of plurals and other inflectional morph- morphemes in children. In the experiment, the child was firstly presented with a drawing of a small creature which was called a wug, and then they were presented with another drawing of the same creature and asked what they are to see if the child could identify the plural of wug to wugs. Burko found that the children who were aged three and four years old responded by identifying wug as wugs by adding an s, proving that they not only learn words themselves, but the grammatical rules behind it, which enable them to apply it to new words. So that's all. Uh, If you found this video useful, as, as we mentioned previously, do subscribe as well as give the video a big thumbs up. It really helps us and it also helps other people find this video particularly if they are seeking assistance around child language acquisition. In addition, should you require any additional information, do visit our website which is www.firstreetutors.com where we have lots of learning materials, worksheets, model answers and so on catering to both English, maths and other topics.